0: everyone as you know obsess fest is happening in dallas texas from october 20th through october 22nd
1: and we know when it comes to equality it's a bit of a mess in texas right now so while we are there for obsess fest we're going to be doing the good work
0: We are very excited to announce that we have partnered with two amazing organizations for whom we are going to be raising both money and awareness for.
1: One is called the Transgender Education Network of Texas, which is furthering gender-diverse equality in Texas for trans and gender-diverse Texans. The other is Fund Texas Choice, which provides support to Texans seeking
0: abortion care.
1: Both of these organizations will be participating meaningfully in Obsessed Fest. They'll be hosting panels, participating in all of the fun stuff, and we'll even be doing a live auction at the Drag Brunch to raise even more funds for them. To learn
0: more about the Transgender Education Network of Texas and fund Texas Choice, go to
1: ObsessFest.com. We can't wait to see you at ObsessFest! We'll see you there! Hi, Mom. Hi. What was the question you had for Joey? Oh. (laughs) I want him to show me how he does that twerking, moving his butt the way that he does.
0: The next time you come to New York... (laughs) I will trade you a twerking lesson for a karate lesson.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, because I can't get my butt to move like that.
0: Listen, listen. If there's one thing I know how to do, it's I know how to make a booty shake.
1: You heard it here. (laughs) patreon tier if you want to get twerking lessons from joey we will figure out a way to do it (laughs) join us on the patreon that is where you get all your bonus episodes it really doesn't include the twerking but like if you want us to we will because we're super needy join us because there are hundreds and thousands probably hundreds of episodes (laughs) for you to download and binge we have our close friends circle where sometimes joey and i have little online fights back and forth And he brings up our dirty secrets. He really does. (laughs) Just go to patreon.com slash I think not. And you can find tons of bonus content. I went live today with the besties. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I went live with the besties.
0: That's fine. I
1: closed on my apartment today. Thank God. I sold my first apartment down, bitches. And here we are. And here you are. How are you today? Well, I was thinking
0: of selling my cats yesterday because they were driving me nuts. I'm just kidding. They're my babies. People won't think that's very funny. I love my babies very much. But sometimes cats at 6 a.m. are like, "Yeah, now, feed me, whore.
1: Tucker, is he a headbutter? Very much so. She has a head butter. Yeah. She knocks me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where do they
1: learn to do that?
0: They're rubbing their scent on you.
1: No, but she like knocks me. Like when she wants something, she like
0: She's like me. She doesn't know her own strength.
1: Yeah. But no, yeah. that's
0: what they're doing. They're rubbing their scent on you. And I think it probably feels good as well. I don't know, but anyway, I know,
1: I know being a cat dad is very stressful for it you, is. honey. It is. Better help is here. Should we get to the episode? <laughs> it's hard
0: out here being a cat dad. A single cat dad, okay? Yes, let's get to the case. Okay.
1: We're on Wonderland Murders, and I'll tell you, it's like a warm hug every time I listen because our very own Christopher is the narrator. But here we are at season two, episode three Rage in Rose City.
3: A horrific crime scene,
1: blood on the ceiling blood on the floor, blood on every piece of physical item
2: in the actual apartment.
3: Charlie, stop moving. A victim who seemingly had no enemies.
2: He was just kind of a free-loving hippie. What do you mean, murdered? Everybody loves Charlie.
3: Until Portland homicide detectives turn up one possible suspect after another. So you're looking into his girlfriend?
4: Closely.
2: Why was she out of town when this homicide occurred? Why won't she talk to me?
4: We had no idea if this was a witness, if this was a co-conspirator. Yeah, I want the lawyer before any a question. Is there something on me? So what am I being charged with? This is person has no emotion, and this is a person that would kill Detective Coffey and I if he had a chance.
0: Well, here we are in the Markham neighborhood of Portland. It's just southwest of downtown Portland, and they show us the area. It's beautiful.
1: I love Portland. Portland is the home of outdoor living, Courtney love, and 164 days of rain. In an average year. Wow.
0: Yeah. That would be nice for me because then I wouldn't have to feel so bad about, you know, staying home in my apartment so much. So gloomy. I probably do that too much.
1: Yeah. And you recently painted your walls black.
0: Yeah, it felt good.
1: Yeah. Felt like the right thing. Are you okay, baby? Um,
0: uh, Don't tug at that throat too hard, no. But this particular neighborhood of Markham, it's giving like Forks, the city of Forks in Twilight. Have you ever seen Twilight? I've never seen a Twilight. It's basically about a girl who falls in love with a vampire who spends most of the series fighting the urge to eat her. And it's sexy, because you know what? Nothing's hotter than a vampire with a popsicle dick. (laughs) I think about that all the time. She touches his hand. She's like, you're ice cold. I'm like, yeah, babe. And you're trying to get that man to swap some gravy with you.
1: Does that sound appetizing? I, I, I still haven't seen one of the Twilight movies. But this area is so <laughs> cute. It's got like little tree houses. And of course, they say the end all and be all of every episode. Yep. Not a lot of crime, says Sergeant Pete Simpson. But yeah, but they said so little crime that you don't really see a, a cop in that area. Also alarming. Yes. Yeah, I would say so. It then makes me think what kind of petty crimes they have. Like, when I was in Toronto, do you know what the number one crime that happens in Toronto?
0: Stealing a boot?
1: Stealing bikes. Oh, really? People are out here just stealing bikes in Toronto. Do you know how I know? How? I got my bike stolen in Toronto, and when I say my bike, I mean J. Elaine Marcos' bike that I was borrowing. Oh,
0: my I God. got her
1: bike stolen. I had to buy her a new bike.
0: They're very environmentally conscious over there.
1: So they're like, look, I
0: want to do what's right. I want to be green, but I have to steal a bike in order to do it. Yeah. Okay.
1: I always think like if there's some kind of crime, it's just weird crime. Yeah. Well, on March 9th, 2013...
0: Things weren't so laid back in the neighborhood of Markham. A 911 call comes in from a local apartment complex, and a neighbor of 25-year-old Charlie Weber has found him severely beaten up, and the scene is gruesome. Charlie is barely alive. You can actually hear him moaning on this 911 call. It's horrible.
3: 911. Uh, my neighbor has been beat up. He's, he's bleeding severely. Okay. do you know who beat him up? No, I don't. I just came over. There's blood everywhere. He's uh, he's conscious. He's breathing. He's he's rolling on the floor and moaning. <laughs> they still Charlie.
0: And minutes later, Charlie's dead.
1: Yeah, that nine one one call. It's like you can't fake drama like that. When you hear no. that, it just gives you, you know, the chills. So Sergeant Christina Coffey and Paul Dolby are on the scene and Sergeant Christina, she's here and it says if Investigation Discovery was charging her per word, because she makes really clear and succinct sentences. Yes. She says, this was the bloodiest crime scene that I've seen. She wouldn't tap dancing around the issue. No. She and was you- getting right to the point. Right in, like, minute two. Right to the fine
0: point. And, in fact, you don't even have to guess what she's talking about because we see pictures of it. It is horrific.
1: Which is good because I do believe we should save our words for Christopher. He loves to talk. He
0: sure does, our little talker, drinking hot coffee in the summer. When he came in here and he was drinking hot coffee and it was hot outside, I was like, no, come on, Christopher.
3: Is this what we're doing now? We're going around behind people's backs talking about what they put in their mouths.
0: it's
3: over. Don't you love satanic things, like like waking up at 5 a.m.?
0: You can't judge me, and no, I don't. <laughs> okay, I haven't gone that deep into Satanism yet that I'm waking up with the roosters.
3: Oh, okay, Joseph. Okay, I admit, I do love words. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me.
1: <laughs> Christopher, are you a Swifty? <laughs> How cute. Well, we miss you very much. We love you,
0: Christopher.
3: I miss you, Joey. We will snuggle at Obsessed Fest, but I'm Big Spoon this time, okay? Love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But this show is kind of dark, huh, Christopher?
3: It's true crime, Ellen. You know you do true crime, right?
0: Fair, fair. Fair, that is fair. Thank you. You know what? We appreciate that reminder, and we
3: love you.
1: And whenever we have a true crime special, you know who we're going to call.
3: I'm very expensive.
1: Not Nancy Grace. (laughs) Bye, Christopher. Bye,
2: Christopher. Bye, guys. Charlie was lying on the ground. Walking into a crime scene such as this is really overwhelming just for the fact that there's so much blood at the scene.
0: This apartment is literally covered in blood on the floor. The furniture, the walls, the fucking ceiling even had blood spatter on it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, again, I appreciate how thorough Wonderland Murders is. But they did really drive it home that there was a lot of blood. It was
2: on items of food, on the couch, on the walls, blood on the ceiling, blood on the floor, on the door, on lamps.
1: They got blood on the blinds. They got blood on the refrigerator. They got blood on the lava lamp. They got it on the tweezer, my foam rollers, the hair dryer, my pants, my socks, on the hangers. I was like... OK. I mean, and
0: then as they're explaining that, they show us pictures of blood yeah. on the items. I'm like, I get it, y'all. Nikki, it was bad. We,
1: we get it. And then Paul Dolby says it was then we realized that the murder took place with a sharp object. I was like, yeah. Judging yeah. by the blood, even like, you know, the yeah. village idiot knew that, yeah. sir. We we got it. A sharp object. Listen, they're, they're
0: playing at everyone, even the back of the house, you know. <laughs> and so detective. Christina and Paul sit down with the neighbor, Eugene, who made that 911 call so they can get some more information. And understandably, Eugene is in shock. But also they take a break to let us know just what kind of guy Charlie was.
1: Yeah, I get it. He was like kind of a Portland guy. Portland is kind of like Berkeley, like where I grew up. You know, he's kind of like a hippie. Yeah. He was just kind and quiet and had long hair and sold marijuana every once in a while And his mom, Kathleen McCoy, is here. And she said it took three days to name him. (laughs) And he was the youngest of four. And sadly, his dad passed at the age of three. You know, I was thinking Father's Day is coming up.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: We don't have to buy a gift for anyone.
0: (laughs) God love you for thinking I ever did. (laughs) But he was the
1: baby and he was very independent. Does your family follow, like, the baby trope? Like, the baby of the family?
0: My mom still refers to us as the two babies. Oh. I'm the baby boy and she's the baby girl. We were the two babies.
1: Oh, God. So, like, did you have, like, hand-me-downs and stuff?
0: I did have hand-me-downs. And then when I got into high school, I fought for different things that really they should have just stuck with the hand-me-downs because they looked better than the shit I was picking out in high school.
1: Yeah. I was the only girl, but I always felt bad for, like, the person. who, Like, you even get, like, a hand-me-down womb. When yeah. I mean, you're like, oh, this fucking hell. Someone's been in here. But that's such a thing because I remember it getting cycled through all our friends. And we're like, that's Sarah's dress. <laughs> fucking idiot. She wore that three years ago. My brother was such the baby. Oh, yeah. Such the baby. And Charlie was, too. But that actually made him really independent. Yeah. He moved out at 17 to live with his friends, which, you know, his
0: mom, Kathleen, didn't really want him to do. But she's like, I'm not going to stop you. Meanwhile, my parents would have been like, bye, it's too crowded here, get the fuck out. Enjoy sleeping on a blow up mattress and watching TV on a beanbag, okay? (laughs) Did you? No, but that's what I've been like a 17 year old living with their friends in an apartment. Come on. Literally.
1: And he loved Portland. He loved living in Portland. He loved the vibe. I love Portland. They keep it weird. I like that. You know, they're super environmentally friendly there. I love that. And they were like on the forefront of everything green. Do you know they passed a green tax recently for large corporations and they use that revenue to fund like efficiency initiatives in lower income areas like solar paneling. And stuff. So they give big corporations a green tax. They're like the only city like in the country to do it. Wow. Bigger corporations pay a green tax. They take that money have more sustainable living in their city. That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, because
0: it's expensive to like, you know, live a green existence. Yeah. uh, You know, and that's amazing. We
1: love you, Portland. Yeah. That's amazing. Also, everybody get a Lomi and compost your shit.
2: (laughs) Charlie loved to cook. He loved the process of cooking. He was a chef without training. And so he worked in several restaurants.
3: And Charlie often tries out his latest dishes after hours on his best friend, Nick Hepsibon.
0: Also, Charlie was a chef. He loved to cook. He was self-taught. And he would, like, hang out at his job after hours, creating new dishes. And his best friend, Nick Hepsiban was his taste tester. I love that. Why don't you cook for me? Never mind.
1: I would love it if my best friend cooked for me.
0: We do other things for each other. That's very nice. But we don't need to cook each other. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fry thy neighbor, cook thy best friend. <laughs> what? Well, What are you having for dinner, Joey Ellen? Yeah, awful
0: (laughs) gaming. (laughs) Look, <laughs> could get some more meat on these bones. I love
1: how neither one of us likes to cook. We didn't tick that box when we were looking no, for best No, I am
0: forcing myself to meal prep more. I
1: know, but we don't get joy from cooking.
0: No, no, there is no joy in I that. I know.
1: Everyone's like, do you really use HelloFresh? I'm like, I really do, because I fucking hate cooking. Yeah, I'm like, I'm fascinated by people who find joy in cooking. Robbia. Rabia loves to cook. I'm like, lady, I don't fucking, who are you? Now, we also learned that Charlie had a lot of girlfriends.
0: He did. He
1: looked like just like a sweet charming kind of like skater he was a skater boy he said see ya later boy (laughs) he wasn't good enough for her now in the studio studio, singing the song uh-oh, uh-oh. I we love that song. Button. I love that song. It's a
0: great song, but also Charlie was just very outgoing. Yeah. He was a charmer. He knew how to talk to people and he was genuine. And he had a girlfriend named Amber. After a year together, they had a baby named Alice, which I have to tell you, I kind of love that name. Oh, I love that name. Alice in Wonderland. It's, it's so cute. Or Alice through the Looking Glass. It's great. But they were only 20 when they had that baby. Charlie didn't care. He was happy to be a oh, dad. And he
1: was like besotted with her. Like he was so, you could tell. Telling the pictures. Did you say besotted? Besotted? I've
0: never heard that word. What does that mean?
1: Like, just enamored, in love with. Oh,
0: never heard that word. I learned a new word today.
1: Oh, look at you. Besotted.
0: Can I say it like that? Besotted. You know what my friend is. Besotted <laughs> with this pussy. All right? That's what she's besotted with. Oh, this ass and the thong? Besotted. I'll give it to you. <laughs> oh, me and the tubes having some roller skates going up 8th Avenue Dude pride? Besotted. Okay? I need a t-shirt that says it on it. Here's the thing. Amber wanted to get married. Charlie was like, we're 20. I'm not really ready. So they broke up amicably. What's mm-hmm. that like? And Amber made sure that Charlie had time with his daughter because... Good parents don't weaponize their children.
1: He was a good dad. Yeah, it was very sweet. So a couple years pass, and he meets a law student from Florida named Jennifer, and he fell hard. Yeah, he did. He fell in besottedness. He fell in love with her. I didn't know they had law schools in Florida. That's good to know. I think she was a law student in,
0: uh, in Portland. Oh, she was from Florida. She was from Florida.
1: Okay, yeah. Because I was going to say it's lawless there. <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't know that there was. Uh, any... Yeah. What law school
0: did you go to in Tampa? Oh, mind your fucking business firm. <laughs> okay. Look at me funny firm over here. Okay. <laughs> she looked at me funny, so I fed her to a gator firm. That's what I work for. I'll see you in court, bitch.
1: <laughs> Who am I
0: talking to? The
1: defense. The light switch. The defense rests, your honor. <laughs> Thank you. He studied in Florida. Thank you. Jacksonville, yeah, to be yeah. specific.
0: I went to the same school as Ron DeSantis.
1: Ew.
3: <laughs> Charlie and Jennifer settle down in the woodsy Markham neighborhood and begin planning their future together. 16 months later, that future comes to an abrupt end. As Portland detectives continue to interview Charlie's neighbor, Eugene, at the apartment, he mentions something that piques their interest. Jennifer left town suddenly the day before Charlie was murdered.
1: Here we are back at this tragic day, 16 months after they had moved in together.
0: So the detectives are interviewing neighbor Eugene and he tells them the day before Charlie's murder his girlfriend, Jennifer, abruptly left town. Suspicious.
1: Yeah, so the
0: detectives are like, okay, write that down. But also, Eugene tells him, I don't really sleep well, and the night of Charlie's murder... I was out on my balcony when I heard like these weird thuds coming from Charlie's apartment.
1: Right. So then he looks out and then all of a sudden he sees three people scurrying out of his apartment. They got in the car and they drove away. And he really didn't know much about the car, but he did see that it had four doors. Then, of course, he runs to him, which is actually kind of dangerous. But of course, that was his first instinct to go help him. So the detectives want to know as much as they can from this neighbor, Eugene.
0: We also hear in that 911 call, which is horrifying, Eugene is like, who did this to you, Charlie? Who did this? Charlie couldn't speak. Now, that interview is happening. Meanwhile, a patrol officer says he spoke with a man who was in the apartment when this happened, and he had fled right after the three men, but Eugene didn't see him because Eugene was on the second floor. He was going through his apartment and coming out. And that man was Charlie's best friend, Nick Hebzeban.
2: So, Nick, can you tell Detective Dolby and myself what happened when you were in the apartment?
3: Um, Me and him hanging out.
1: Okay, what were you guys doing?
3: Just playing video games. Um.
1: Basically, he said we were there playing video games. Three guys bust in the door. One guy who was like this white guy with no mask held a gun to his head. And basically put his head down in the couch so he couldn't see anything. And then they took Charlie in the back room. And Nick couldn't see anything. Obviously, he could hear everything, which I don't know what is worse. Because letting your mind fill in the blanks while you hear something happening. And
0: you are helpless because Nick's face is buried in this cushion. And a guy is holding a gun to his head saying, if you look up, I will kill you. If you move, I will kill you. So Nick is explaining, I couldn't see what was happening. I heard that Charlie fought his way out of the bedroom into the living room. And he was screaming like, I have a daughter, please, please. But Nick
1: couldn't explain what was happening because again, what's he going to do? And of course he was petrified and he just waited. So obviously there's so much to find out. And of course, like when Nick comes in, rightfully so, they're like, Did he have something to do with it? Is this a confession? Yeah. They don't know. Because logically... Why would they leave an eyewitness? Exactly. So it makes sense that Nick might be involved. Agreed. Absolutely. And they noted that he didn't have a drop of blood on him. Yep. You know, nothing that would indicate that he actually did something, but he might have like masterminded it. And now we know this doesn't account for much, but they made it a point to say he didn't sound like he was in shock. He sounded very Flat. Yeah. Which again, like, welcome to my favorite game called Let's Judge Your Emotions yeah, in a yeah. high stress time. Yeah.
0: He spoke monotone.
1: I thought it was weird. They were like, he didn't sound shocked. I was like, Really, Nancy? Yeah. What does shock sound like? I can't even begin to tell you what shocked sounds like. It
0: sounds different for everybody and also like You know, they had asked him, do you recognize any of the people? He's like, I I don't. I I don't know their names. You are watching someone process in real time and all the trauma and thinking of like, I could be dead right now. Yeah. And my best friend is dead. It's so much. Now, this is when Nick says that Charlie sold weed to support himself and his girlfriend while she was working on her law degree. And they asked Nick, do you have any idea why these guys were there? And Nick was like, I really don't have any idea. But he seemed hesitant. But he does agree to come back tomorrow to the police station to give another interview
4: in the morning. But before they do that, detectives head to Charlie's autopsy. Charlie Weber's body is a wealth of evidence of what happened to him during the evening hours.
2: He had sharp force trauma, he had blunt
1: force trauma, he was almost
2: decapitated. There were chunks of skull that were uh, missing.
1: So they get the autopsy, and the autopsy is unusually scary. Yeah. Charlie was almost decapitated. This was senseless. It was violent. It was just devastating, and it was really hard to see. And remember, Nick saw all of that. And they were like, what is the motive? There's just a lot of confusion happening. Now, Mama Kathleen is basically reminiscing about the last time she saw him.
0: Yeah, they had gone to lunch. They hadn't seen each other in a little bit, but they were just catching up and Charlie seemed really happy. She's like, we had this beautiful conversation about love and his goals. He had decided he was going to go to culinary school. I mean, here's the thing. There's this all this pressure to figure out when you're young what you want to do, what you love, what's going to make you happy and how you're going to make a living off of what makes you happy. And you have to do that so quickly before you've even really dug into what that is. And so he was 25. I'm sure he was like, you know what? Now I know. Cooking is my passion. That's what I want to do. And he was going to go to culinary school. The boy had his whole life ahead of him, and he was in love. He had his daughter. It's it's very tragic.
1: And so him and Jennifer had an open relationship, and Mama Kathleen was like, I don't know if that caused tension, but they do know that Jennifer was in Orlando visiting her parents. So when they called to tell Jennifer that something happened, she did not seem very forthcoming. More on that later. Well, she was in shock. Right. Yeah, that's all they really said. So then they reached out to Amber, the mother of Alice, and she was a wreck, naturally. So they were like, let's interview Nick again. And he was like, you know, I do have to tell you, one of the voices sounded like a Middle Eastern male. And I heard someone say, pass the machete, Moody. That is... Wild. Then Nick
0: finally admits that he does know one of the attackers, but they don't really elaborate on that at this point. And basically Nick says, look, I'm actually scared for my life. I really want to lay low. And the detectives are like, he knows more. He knows more and he's not ready to share that information. Yeah,
1: but they were like, what about the guy with the gun to your head? And he was like, I mean, have you had a gun to your head? Like, I kind of blacked out. I'm trying to help you here. Nick was scared.
3: With clues proving hard to uncover and still no motive, detectives are careful what information they share with Charlie's mother, but other agencies are not as cautious.
2: First, we were told Charlie had blunt force head trauma. So my brother-in-law called the coroner for
4: me and JD came back. It was white as a ghost.
3: What, 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 what's wrong? It's not good. Whatever they told you, it's not the truth.
1: Learned that the cops lied to Mama Kathleen. They said that Charlie died from blunt force trauma, and then her brother-in-law actually found out how Charlie really died. And so Mama Kathleen went to the cops, and White was like, "Why did you lie? Why did they lie?" And so they basically said they were trying to protect her. They said,
4: "We try to protect her from the gruesomeness and the horrific event that happened in his apartment." I don't think a mother could handle that kind of information.
1: With all due respect, from an empathy standpoint, I understand that. I do. I get it. But how about, let's be crazy now, how about you let her decide what she can and can't emotionally compartmentalize when it comes to the death of her son, rather than her suffering, like, the re-traumatization while she pieces together this lie and then also try and heal from the lie on top of that like nobody has time for that like not in this economy
0: yeah i mean i see both sides of it because listen we we didn't go into graphic detail like they did on this episode about what exactly his injuries were and what they looked like i don't know that i could handle that information about someone that but i they love lied. Well, they did lie. They
1: they should have said. But did they
0: lie or were they vague?
1: No, they said blunt force trauma. He did not die from blunt force trauma. He was attacked with a machete. Right. He was almost decapitated. I mean, there is a way. I'm not saying don't have bedside manner. I'm just saying don't play with people's emotions. Certainly not when it comes to loss and certainly not when it comes to the loss of a child. Yeah. Her heart will heal, but like she's got to be upset all over again. Sure. I hate liars, which is why I only trust people with big butts. (laughs) I did not. See that coming. Well, and Shakira's <laughs> hips. Because neither one... <laughs> la, 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 la. I understand the protectiveness. No, I
0: get the instinct to try to protect her from that information. I understand what you're saying. I wonder also, too, if they're like, I don't think I have it in me to sit down and give this mother the graphic details of this It doesn't murder. need to be
1: graphic. Yeah. She was very, very upset. Let her decide. Yeah. It's graphic, Mama Kathleen. I'm going to tell you just a little bit right now, and then yeah. maybe I'll explain it a little more when You've kind of, yeah, yeah, you know, no, I hear hears what you're saying. your heart a bit. I sure. don't know, I was so mad for her. She seemed very upset. Yeah,
3: as Portland detectives investigate the brutal murder of Charlie Weber, they wonder if his girlfriend Jennifer might be involved. A grieving girlfriend doesn't necessarily come in with an attorney unless they feel that they have some kind of information to protect. Do
4: you know anyone by the name of Moody?
0: The next day, investigators speak with Jennifer, Charlie's girlfriend, and she has an attorney with her. Now, they thought that that was suspicious, but to be honest, I would do the same thing. If you are bringing me in for questioning about any aspect of
1: something, she's a law student. She's not a dummy. I'm going to bring a lawyer with me. Well, basically, they were riding her like a fucking derby horse about having a lawyer, and then in the next breath, they were like, she's a person of interest. I was like, bitch, that's why she has a lawyer. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she's not a fucking idiot. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying don't suspect her. Of course you have to suspect the partner, but it is her constitutional right to have an attorney. So they ask
0: Jennifer, they're like, do you know anyone by the name of Moody? And she says, no. And that is all I'm going to say right now because that's it.
1: Reenactment Jennifer was really, really making a meal out of the few lines that she had. She was really excited because she looked at that detective like they had just asked her to translate a church hymn from Uh Latin.
0: (laughs) It was a three-act play. It
1: really was. She was like, how'd I do, Mom? Yeah. She was excited. It
0: was both parts of The Inheritance all in (laughs) her face.
1: Y'all, The Inheritance was a play on Broadway. And it was two days, two parts, three hours each.
0: Yep. Very heavy stuff.
1: Six hours of theater. I saw it in one day.
0: I only saw part one. I never went back for part two.
1: I'll never know how it ends. (laughs) Well, I mean, even
0: Harry Potter had a part one and part two, and eventually, like, yo, this is a little long. Yeah. We're going to have to <laughs> consolidate this-,
1: this shit. Yeah. And they did. When we saw The Inheritance, I just remember thinking the audacity of that author being like, I know I can't cut anything. <laughs> They're like, can we trim? Twenty, And he was like, I would love to. I can't. Sorry. It's six hours and it needs every minute. Yeah. I can't trim a thing.
0: Yeah. And the dream ballet that stars the rats in the dumpster. It can't go. All 95 minutes of it needs to stay. stay. (laughs) At the time, Charlie's best friend, Nick, was laying low. Detectives wanted to speak more with him, but they couldn't force him to. But eventually Nick called and he says, "I I have more to tell you.
2: He sent me a text message, so we brought him back into the precinct. After some thought and some uh, time away from us here, um,
1: you kind of started to piece some things together.
4: And as that interview went on, he identified the Middle Eastern male as Hussein Hadar.
1: And he was like, I think the name of the Middle Eastern guy was Hussein Hadar. I think it was him. I think he was the one who said, pass me the machete moody. So they got a whole bucket full of questions for him while he delivers this information. Apparently,
0: Hussein Hadar was the first one to rush Charlie's apartment door. He was wearing a ski mask. Nick goes on to tell them that he and Hussein met at community college a few years back, but that Hussein didn't really know Charlie. They had maybe hung out a couple times. And so they're like, why are you telling us this? And Nick says, because during that attack, Hussein kept telling me, You're next.
1: And listen, these detectives went to DBU and they majored in, you can tell a lot about a person from their social media. Yep. Because they just cross-referenced their Facebooks. They're like, he's friends with him. Let's find Moody. Let's find this guy. And they came up with the name Mahmud Mustafa. But Nick keeps saying he did not know who the white guy was. Yes. But then, during his interview, out of the blue... He gets a message from
0: Hussein Hadar. We'll just call him Hadar for now on. And they were like, Do you message with him often? And he's like, No, this is weird. And he was like, Look, Nick, I, I want to talk to you.
3: Yeah,
1: I want to meet up. And Nick is like, That is a hell no. I will be busy doing. Not that. Yep. He is scared for his life. And they're like, all right, you know what would be a great idea? Call him. And they don't know what they want him to say. Yeah, there's They no don't script. prep him, but they're like, just wing it. Just have fun with it. Just call this guy who might have murdered your best friend. They're like, we'll record it. Nothing crazy. Yeah. And so they chat. He's like, uh, hey, Hadar. How's it going? What'd you bench today? Yeah. Good gains, bro.
0: Nice. Okay.
1: Looking yeah. good. And...
0: We hear this actual call. Hello. What's that, man?
3: Hello,
2: And they have this conversation that uh, Nick acknowledges that he knows that Hadar's inside, and Hadar acknowledges he was there.
4: Now, that was you there, right? Uh, this could go terribly wrong if Nick was truly involved in this crime because Hadar would say it over the phone.
0: And through this conversation, actually, investigators realize Nick is not involved in this murder. And Hadar says, look, I don't have a problem with you. I just want to meet up so I can explain to you what happened. And Hadar kept saying, you know, this is all just over some dumb stuff. It could have been too dumb if you broke into a man's
1: apartment with two other guys at 2 a.m. and murdered him. Yeah, I'm just very curious why you would brutally, and you all, this was brutal. It
0: was rage. I'm thinking the whole time, Nick is lucky to be alive.
1: I mean, he didn't have a mark on him. But now the important thing is they know Nick is a witness. They need Nick. Nick has the information. He's taken off the suspect list. He has nothing to do with it, and he holds the key to all this information. In real life, Nick is here. Yeah. This is the first time he comes on the episode, and this man looks traumatized.
0: This man was broken by this. I can see that this is something that he wants desperately to forget about. Yeah. And also at this point, the detectives realize, oh, you weren't being weird. You're actually scared for your life.
1: Yeah. You have PTSD. You had a gun to your head. They know who you are. At the very least, do they know what you look like. Yeah.
0: And you could only listen while your friend was murdered. It's it's awful.
3: I was pretty traumatized after everything that happened. It was a pretty gruesome scene. His fingers were hanging off. It just changed the way that I see the world. PTSD from it. Nightmares. Everything you could imagine. I wasn't really willing to put myself in harm's way. I knew that he knew my family and where I lived. I was afraid for my life at that point, you know.
0: He explains his reluctance to talk about it because he was like, look, Hadar, he knew me. He knew my family. He knew where we lived. And he's like, I knew what they were capable of. I saw what they were capable of. And it was very risky for Nick to speak out. I mean, that's really scary.
1: And so he was like, there might have been some weird motive. Let me walk you through it. Right. He basically said that Charlie, again, remember, he's just like a friendly, friendly dude. And one day at a party, he was helping Hadar's girlfriend, Cheryl, do cooking or something. And, you know, editor, male ego stage left. Hadar comes. He's like, how about you get away from my girlfriend? He's like, whoa, like, don't be so mean to your girlfriend. How about you don't. And he just puffs out his chest. Male lions the situation. And Nick was like, I mean, Hadar was really controlling, which is sexy. And he was scary.
0: Yeah. And Charlie called him out in front of people. And Hadar is probably not used to that. And so
1: Hadar held on to that. Now Nick has some loose lips. Now the cops are, like, really trying to get whatever information they can from him. And they said, like, does Jennifer have anything to do with Hadar? And... It turns out there's nothing sus about Jennifer at all. Yeah, I mean, the
0: timing sucked. Jennifer left for Orlando. Everything was good between them. And and Nick says that, you know, essentially they were able to figure out, like you said, that trip was just ill-timed.
1: Yeah, and she had a lawyer because she was pre-law and she was studying at the law school of I'm not a fucking dummy university. Yeah.
0: Her parents also were like, you need to lawyer up.
1: I also want people to stop saying, and it was really suspicious when they asked for a lawyer. Yeah. Why do we keep saying this? Listen,
0: do you know how many times we've seen people forced into signing confessions, false confessions? You're not about to do that to me. Yeah. Hell no.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they want people to talk. So Jennifer was just smart and it was just tragic and it was just a fluke. I mean, thank God she wasn't there. So more lives weren't lost. Exactly.
2: I have no idea why they let Nick live.
1: The only thing I can think of is
2: that maybe they thought that Nick had some sort of alliance to Hadar and he would keep quiet. But we by no means have enough to make any arrests or to get any arrest warrants. So we decided to start surveillance on Hadar.
0: In the meantime, the police begin surveillance on Hadar as well as Moody. And three days later, they see the two men together buying lighter fluid So police are like, those motherfuckers are about to destroy evidence. We can't risk that. So they're like, we need to get these arrest warrants. And they
1: do. They storm Hadar's girlfriend's apartment, Cheryl, put a pin in her. Not literally. We love her. They find burnt clothes in the apartment. They also find boots with blood on the bottom. And they were like. I'm willing, I do hate Las Vegas. Yeah. I am willing to go to the fucking roulette table. What's a betting table? Roulette table? Blackjack. Blackjack table? Mm-hmm. Pinochle table? Yeah, the, the, flip, penny slots, the, the
0: flip-flop slots.
1: The flip-flop slots?
0: Yes, the the Guggenheim table.
1: I hate betting. But they're like, I'm willing to bet that that blood is Charlie's
0: Yeah, blood. and they had picked up Moody in his apartment building, parking lot. I mean, they got him pretty quickly, so... As soon as they get Hadar in the interrogation room, he is cocky. He's like, my mama always told me to get a lawyer if there's trouble and I want a lawyer now. I'm not saying anything else. I mean, that's probably the only smart thing he did.
1: Yeah. He was like reading his rights. He was reading it out loud. And then he was like, aren't you supposed to read this to me? I was like, my man, puff down that chest. Yeah. If you ever have a scene where you need to get rage filled, listen to this little twerps responses because that arrogance because he was trying to exert control because an arrogant person only feels smart when they're making other people feel dumb yeah oh you're not doing your job it was so stupid i was like shut the fucking
0: front door you idiot well let me tell you something for everything hadar would say Moody was like, uh, uh, all right, okay, Let's. Uh, you got a paper and pen,
1: yeah. I will draw everything for <laughs> you. Moody was chunk from Goonies. He was like, I mixed up the fake puke, <laughs> and then I went <laughs> to the movies, and I hid it in my jacket, and I went to the balcony, and I was making this. <gasps> <It's so good>.
0: <gasps> <gasps> One of my favorite underrated moments was that when she goes, "Hick hey, puree, and they're putting his fist in the blender, goes, no. I want to learn how to play the violin. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: so good. It's so good. But I mean, like, Moody is sitting there. He's like, I did it. We did it. We all did it. And he doesn't know that Fuckface is in the other room, zipped lipped and trying to go toe to toe with the fucking detectives. Well, he
0: gives the detectives a fourth person they didn't even know about. Yeah. So apparently, there was a driver of the getaway car, a man named Omar Ibrahim. And Moody says, look, I was at a party with Omar when Hadar and this random white dude showed up saying, hey, we need a ride. We're going to rob Charlie. So Omar stayed in the car the whole time. So now they track down Omar and arrest him, too. Moody was like, I wasn't really involved. I was there, but I wasn't really involved.
1: And Omar admitted to driving the car. And I'll tell you some information about Omar Ibrahim later. Have you ever seen such a petrified
0: mugshot? Oh, Absolutely.
1: He was petrified, but no one knew who the white dude was. The white dude did not have a mask, but nobody knew him until they get the kingpin, the valedictorian of DBU, the queen of all that is right, Hadar's girlfriend, Cheryl. Um, I know exactly
4: what happened. Okay, How would you hear what happened? Okay, he told me.
1: She wants to
2: tell us everything she knows.
4: The Sen has told me. Two weeks before this, oh, I'm going I'm to kill Charlie. I thought he was
2: kidding. Cheryl described her relationship with Hadar as being um, very violent.
4: I've been putting up this facade that I love this guy for like three months.
0: I f- hate this dude.
2: Um, he beat her. He had held her
0: captive and she was afraid of him. Apparently two weeks before the murder, Hadar told Cheryl he was going to kill Charlie. And she was like, I truly from my heart thought he was kidding. Yeah. And... She then says, I've been trapped. Hadar would beat her up. She was pretending to be in love with him. And she's like, I fucking hate that guy. She was terrified of him. She
1: was tortured. She was abused. She was frightened. She had Stockholm syndrome. She was like, I have been playing this game. She couldn't leave. But also, she knows everything.
0: Yeah. She goes on to say Hadar told her that the white dude went crazy on Charlie. And he was the one who used Hadar's machete to kill him.
1: And she was the one who was like, oh, and by the way, did you know they were killed with a machete? They were like, we did not. It mm-hmm. was a machete. Yeah. Because they knew it was sharp. It looked like a knife. It was a fucking Ren Fair machete. Yeah. So then Hadara comes home and tells Cheryl, hey, scrub
0: the blood off the bottom of these boots. And she's like, what? But Cheryl, being a graduate of DB University with a major in I'm gonna get you, sucker," because she saved those boots for evidence.
1: Yes! Yeah, so to go fund me so she can get her master's in down bitchery. Yep. She saved the evidence. She knew that when somebody came looking, she'd be like, Test these. Yep. And here's the blood. It is all there. And they did. They did test
0: that blood and it was Charlie's. So now they have what they need except the identity of that white guy. But Cheryl also minored in. I'm taking notes. Yeah. Because she gave police his identity and that is 20 year old Clifton. Carrie be prepared y'all pull over have a cocktail have a Xanax because yeah. this guy is going to make you really fucking angry
1: push pause until your edible yeah. kicks in we see this interrogation and when I say a fucking dish rag mm-hmm. left in the corner of the barbecue after it was done being wiped down this man just listen to this interrogation so initially we weren't even sure obviously if he would talk to us
4: <laughs> and I sat back. Ready to keep laughing, Clint? It's pretty hilarious. Held my breath, and I waited.
1: What part?
4: Pretty much all of it.
1: What is so fucking funny, George oh, no. Carlin?
0: This, like, what is so funny? This fucking gasoline-soaked cum rag can burn in hell. He's just so cocky, and Detective Dolby, he's like, I'm going to take this approach. He says, look, we spoke with everyone involved. They're all pointing fingers at you. And they say you orchestrated this whole thing. And, you know, Detective Dolby was, like, afraid he wasn't going to say anything and be like, I want a lawyer. But he doesn't. He tells them everything. Yeah.
4: So I grabbed the machete and just tried hacking into pieces, pretty much. <laughs> I started hitting him. And then he tried running, so I just started hitting them more. How many times do you think he hit him? Five.
2: Um, Do you think about stopping? No. How do you feel about what you did?
1: I don't really care. And no emotion. No. No remorse. And they say, How do you feel about what you did? I don't even have anything funny to say.
0: No, there is nothing funny about it. So we're dealing with a completely dissociated sociopath and a very dangerous person. So now
1: they have everything they
0: need. They know that Hadar orchestrated it all. They didn't have the machete, but they knew Hadar had owned one because they recover a picture of him shirtless in a fur coat, holding that machete, acting like he's a big, tough man. You look stupid. Yeah. What a clown.
1: Yeah. So this whole thing we learned was Hadar's idea. He was the ringleader, and everyone sort of had their assignments. Hadar did a lot of the stabbing, and so did Clifton. And this whole thing, this is so upsetting. It was a four-year legal battle.
0: Mom Kathleen was like, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. And eventually, in March of 2017, everyone involved takes a plea deal, which I thought was interesting. The driver Omar Ibrahim, he got seven years. Mahmoud Moody Mustafa, he got 15 years. They never really explain to us what Moody's role in all of this was. They don't tell us exactly. And both Hadar and Clifton get life sentences. But Mom Kathleen, she, you know, she finally gets justice for her son, but she's also left with the aftermath. I mean. How do you move on from this? But this was really beautiful, I thought.
1: Oh, gosh, yeah.
0: At his memorial service, his mother handed out rocks for everyone because Charlie loved to travel, and she's like, look, take this to honor Charlie, and when you travel, take a picture with it somewhere it's just a way of remembering him. And even Detective Christina was like, "I was given one and I keep it on my desk. You know, yeah. it's it is a beautiful way to honor someone. I
1: thought that was really, really beautiful, really touching. The mom absolutely broke my heart. yeah. And so a couple things that weren't covered in the case, Omar Ibrahim, the driver, was wrecked in court. He was sobbing. He was almost hyperventilating. He showed such remorse. It sounds like he didn't know what
0: they were going to Like, he thought, well, maybe they're just going to rob this guy. Right.
1: I mean, obviously not a defense, but he was the one who was crying in court. However, it's interesting that you said that about Mahmud because... He pled guilty to first degree burglary, first degree robbery, and pled no contest to second degree manslaughter. He was only sentenced to fifteen years. Mm. He also was very remorseful. He actually got up and turned. Oh, okay, got my arm. Mm. He actually got up and turned to the family and made a statement and apologized to the family, for which Mama Kathleen made a point to forgive him. Wow. And I looked for it everywhere. I read her victim impact statement. I tried to look for a video everywhere and I couldn't find it. But the other two were absolute disgusting monsters. And I also can make space in my brain for Mahmood to have been kind of wrapped up in it because the other two did the actual murdering, the cutting, the work with the machete, also Hadar kicked him in the head, which was likely the blow that actually killed him. And he told his girlfriend, Cheryl, that. And so those two were very, very impacted by what happened. And to each one, because they obviously had separate trials, Mama Kathleen was sure to mention that his last words were, I don't want to die. I have a daughter. That's what Nick said his last—that was the last thing he heard him say. And it was really interesting reading her statements to Mahmood and Omar, the ones who were very sad, because her daughter said, I can't forgive them. I will never be able to forgive them. And it kind of brings me back, obviously, in a different capacity to when we spoke to Jan Broberg on Rabia about how Mama Kathleen was saying, I have to— Forgive them so that I can Move move on. Here's what I want to say. I do
0: think to your point about forgiveness, I bet you that Mama Kathleen every single day chooses to forgive. I think she probably has to make the choice every single day to forgive because anger, resentment, bitterness, it will eat you alive if you let it. It will fester it. And so I think to choose forgiveness and to shift that love because I'm sure Charlie would be like, Mom, I want you to live. I want my daughter to have a good life. I want you to have a good life. Fuck them, guys. Yeah. Keep going. Live a life full of love. And listen, forgiveness is not easy. It's a gift you give people. Not that those two pieces of shit deserved it. But honestly, give yourself the gift of forgiveness. Yeah. You know? For sure.
1: I just could never do that. Yeah. If you can find her victim impact statement, it was really great. But those two other fucking assholes can truly, like, rot and die, say something funny. I mean,
0: that was a dark one. I'm really sad. They're all sad. So, I don't know what to say other than the good thing that came out of this episode was me learning besotted. because you about to be besotted. I'm about to basad you till hell won't have it no more. Is that besotted? Could I could you could I get the fish hold the basad? <laughs> Also, oh, I love that. Are you guys in the business of besotting a suit? Can you do that? Great. Also, does this airplane have protection? Uh, like, can I get like a a, a ticket protection? Great, because I would just be besotted if I could get that. <laughs> Thank like you to so use much. It wrong everywhere. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> 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 my
0: I thought you were about to go
1: suddenly up. Like I
0: literally thought that's what you were going into I
1: was like why? Oh down bitches and Christopher Thank you to Christopher for joining us For putting up with our charades and our charades Yeah Are we going to be back from tour by the time this comes out?
0: Yeah I think I'm in LA right now
1: Did Oh my god <laughs> Are you staying in LA?
0: I'm going to be in L.A. for the weekend oh. for Kirsten's baby's first birthday.
1: Fine. Well down bitches, please follow us on Instagram and all the socials. We are doing the Lord's work over on TikTok. If you're not following us on TikTok, I don't know what you're doing. You're really missing out. We do
0: some excellent buffoonery on there.
1: So follow us right now. Take your phones out and follow us. And also... Uh, give them the... Oh, should I give them the handle? You should give they them the handle. They can find it. It's the I Think Not pod. I'll give it to you. I am Ellen Marsh on all platforms. And Joey is... It's Joey Taranto. Can you just change it to Joey Taranto? No. Okay. And don't forget to join us on the Patreon. Summer's coming. We all know you're going to be taking those long car rides, sitting out at the beach, putting your headphones on, ignoring your kids, ignoring your family members, making some food, <laughs> barbecuing, trying to escape, robbing a bank. Who cares? Listen to us in your ears when you do it. There's a hundred back episodes, ad free, all the stuff. No, you
0: know, I saw a post the other day of someone on Instagram who said, I listen to true crime podcasts while I'm getting my massages
1: huh yeah okay what somebody let us know if that works <laughs> but we are there we are the Patreon <laughs> we love you so much thank you for everything that you do thank you for sharing us on social media tell them to join our Facebook group our Facebook group you can find us at the I Think Not Pod Facebook discussion group we
0: do a lot of fun things over there. We talk a lot of shit in a good way. Come over there and have some fun with us.
1: Yeah. And hopefully we have seen you on tour and we did a little kissing. I love you, Joey. I love you, Yellow Marsh. I love you now, Love you,
0: babies.
1: Bye. If you ever have a scene where you need to get rage filled, listen to this little twink. Not twink. Uh, this <laughs> he little. was a twink. This little twerps. Yeah.
0: You know, I saw a tweet the other day of someone, not a tweet. You know, I saw a meme the other day of some, you know, I saw a
1: post the other day of someone on Instagram who said, listen, my mom said that today on a phone call, unprompted. She went, can you ask Joey how he does that thing with his butt? There's a whole
0: lot of Southern jelly. You
1: all, Joey had a TikTok the other day, and I don't know how you get your butt to do that. There's a lot.
0: I mean, you have to have some booty back there to make that happen. Yeah. And you've got some booty, but
1: it's, well, it's a little booty. It's a little, it's a
0: little booty. The Lord said, you know what I'm going to give her is great big grand Tetons. Let me get my little booty. <laughs> <laughs>